Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast for Wednesday, midweek, September 15th. Midweek, mid-month in September. And the news Tuesday night of vaccine mandates for schools. Not just watching a video, not just taking some education courses and classes about getting vaccinated, but actually getting vaccinated. Or it's two rapid antigen tests per week. What this means why the TDSB was so late, why school teacher unions were so late, and what it's costing us so far this fall. That said, why you also shouldn't be terribly worried because of the vaccination levels of our communities. We're in great shape. We really are. Look at some of the data from the U.S. states about this who are well vaccinated, um, not even as much as we are. Paul Woods will join me. We'll talk about a remarkable time in Toronto sports and pop culture, really, when Wayne Gretzky, Bruce McNall and the late legendary John Candy owned the Toronto Argonauts. How it happened, why it went wrong, it's all in his book, and we get into a chunk of that on Toronto Today. Uh, J.L. Coven, our guest, uh, absolutely the best, plain and simple, Donald Trump impersonator on the planet. He's better than Trump himself, just is. Um, he kind of went viral in early 2020 when the pandemic hit doing Donald Trump um, and has done it ever since. You should check out his YouTube page, but he joined us with reflections and a great chat about the life and legacy of Norm MacDonald and being funny when it's hard to be. Uh, we can imagine what that's like. And Dave Bradley joins us for what happened when on this day, September 15th. It's all coming up on the Toronto Today podcast. Thanks for checking us out and for listening. People were tweeting about the big storm last night in Toronto, lightning all over the place, uh, sheet lightning here and there. Kids soccer team's up one nothing against a, a good team in Thornhill last night. And then I see like lightning way off in the distance, and I'm like, is this the right time for me to just stop the game? I mean, it's going to be seen as a self-centered move. I mean, the lightning is miles plus kilometers, whichever way, imperial metric, whichever way you want to go. But it seemed like the right move at the time because we gave up two goals in the last six minutes and lost. Uh, so uh, thank heavens for small mercies. It's just great to be out there. It's great to be watching kids play sports right now. Let me say this off the top, too. Um, we've talked a lot, and we talked with Joe Cressy yesterday uh, from the Toronto Board of Health City Councilor about the city pausing, pausing um, extracurriculars. I didn't like it. Um, I still don't. I still don't understand it. Um, we've got to find a way, one way or another, um, to quote Blondie, that we've we, we've got to delineate and differentiate between certain sports. If you don't want to have a uh, band practice inside an old uh, ventilated extended broom closet at uh, your old at, at a high school that you know basically was built in the '40s or '50s, okay understandable um playing you know scheduling an intramural league for three pitch or two pitch or whatever or playing co-ed flag football or running cross country or being out there playing soccer um or having clubs meet outside i get that also let me be clear about this with teachers though too is that as frustrating as I think the process was to get most teachers in any board, and, and I'm going to leave the TDSB stuff till top of next hour with the mandated vaccines. Now you just can't watch a video. Now you, you can't just, you know, kind of wriggle your way out of getting vaccinated. Um, I'll leave it for the next hour. But some of these sports, some of the intramural sports, some of the clubs, um, teachers are pretty fried right now already. 
I know what you're going to say. They've had all summer off. Uh, Norm McDonald, who passed away yesterday, we're going to play a clip from him later on this segment about um, the world wars. So, you know, it'll be controversial. Um, but uh, he made a point about teachers saying you basically have the uh, the vacation schedule of a child. And it's true. You do. Most of us, we, we claw and scratch for we, we add some stat holidays together. If we work. Uh, some people I know get three weeks vacation. If you're lucky, right? You're you're four or five, but your upper limit, even for executives, I think, is six because I, I know how hard they work. I know you might think that guy wears a suit, that woman with the also suit, pantsuit. Uh, you know what do they do? Well, pff, their days are pretty full. Scheduling meetings, handling this and that. Um, Teachers who end up with about 11, 12 weeks, I never begrudge that because I know I lived it. I, I've lived the household of two teachers, an elementary school teacher like my mom was and a high school teacher like my dad was. And my dad coached frequently. 80%, I would make the case, maybe maybe closer to two-thirds to 75% of the time I was playing a sport. He wasn't able to be there because he's coaching his own sport. He felt a responsibility. You do that sometimes. Uh, when it comes to your your kids' sports. And, uh, and and so if you're a volunteer manager or you're an assistant coach, you know what that's like early days. I did a lot of that because I, I thought it's a small window of time. I'm never going to say uh, when kids are gone and I'm an empty nester, I'm never going to say, gee, I wish I'd spent more time watching cable television. Gee, I wished I'd watch more movies. Actually, I feel that way sometimes now. Gee, I wish I spent more time on social media. Not likely, not likely. Like the idea is to curb that stuff. And teachers, I get it, are very fried, frayed, all of it right now. And the schedules, especially, there's high schools that don't end that second class until closer to four o'clock. I was talking with a friend the other day I was playing tennis with. He used to get out. He got out of high school at 2.50. Like, the day's still yours, even if you're getting up earlier for an earlier start. That's what I can't fathom and can't reason about uh, high school. And you can text me if you think I'm wrong about this or if this is unusual for your high school student. But, by the way, 289-975-1640. I I cannot figure out why we're starting classes so late and extending them so deep in the daytime. My grade 10 gets home off the bus and is in the door around 420. There's people that used to be able to do part-time jobs in high school. That's great. You need money in high school to do things. And these kids are getting out of school at four o'clock. Employers don't have time to wait. There's employers and, and stores that end up closing. I guess if you're if it's a late night grocery store, shoppers drug or whatever, but there's specialty shops, right? Like there's a bike shop nearby and it closes at six because it's opens at 10 and they don't have a lot of shift work. It's if you open it at 10, you're still there at six. A lot of small businesses, the mom and pops, as we call them, they're happy to hire students, but the students got to put the time in. I worked at a quote unquote record store when it sold CDs. And that's a big problem right now, I think, for kids is finding a way. I I was in university when I did that, but you'd have to hustle it. You'd have to be like, all right, I got a class between 12 and 2. I can get there at 3 o'clock on Wednesdays. Okay, well, you're working 3 until 7 when the store closes or 4 until 9. There's none of this. um, (laughs) You you can't show up at 5.15 and expect A, to get the hours you need for part-time money. And and you're, you're also fried. You're fried as a student. So 
well, I wish the TDSB, and I think it's unbelievably short-sighted. I told Joe Cressy this yesterday. He and I don't have to disagree. Toronto's doing this out of uh, the, the, the oft-used phrase, an abundance of caution. I'm like, why don't we look at the data? Why do we look especially at fully vaccinated high school students who should be doing everything and anything they can right now while the weather's good? Because admittedly, we don't know what winter is going to look like. But the OMHA says, hey, if you're vaccinated plus 12, you can play hockey. You can be around the team. You, we, we will talk about traveling. We'll talk about hotel rooms. Our team is going up to Sudbury next weekend for a soccer game. We're not even giving it a hes- like a single moment of hesitation. Check into a hotel, eat breakfast, do this, do that. Yeah, maybe it's preferable to eat outside. We'll see about that. But people are doing these things. So the idea that a school, and especially an elementary school with with a small number, small percentage of vaccinated kids, um, it's easy to say, hey, organize some touch football after school. Organize a soccer league among the grade fours to grade eights. Do that. It's easy to say those things. What teachers that are, you know, again, already... It's not great. I know there's a lot of people that won't have patience for it and tolerance for it. And listen, I can take the unions on just fine and say, this is where they got to give back. This is this is what I'd like to correct. This is antiquated. This is that. And they were their own worst enemy this summer. I'm sorry. But I'm sorry when you interview the Sam Hammonds and when you, when you interview um, the Harvey, um, honestly, the Harvey Bischoffs, and they tell me, and I could play you the clips of the audio from uh, the end of June to early July, when they tell you vaccination's a choice. That's a private health matter. We can't be mandating vaccines for our faculty. We can't be making people make a medical decision. Oh, okay, well, everybody else is except you. We, 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 are, we were going to get there regardless of your perspective on it. You have cost us valuable time. You've cost teachers valuable time. You've cost parents valuable time. You're costing kids valuable time. And there's a way to do schools without uh, closing them down. Of course there is. Test to stay is a concept. You're going to see this phrase more and more in the United States. Let me point that out. A test to stay protocol helps schools avoid quarantining large amounts of kids when we identify cases. There were always going to be cases. Can we stop the fluttering of hearts about Oh, my God, there's COVID in elementary schools. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yeah, there's COVID everywhere. I, you know, you're going to have to get vaccinated or you will get it. You can't stamp this out. This is endemic. Of course, there's risk mitigation methodologies and tools that everybody has to navigate for their own household. And we have to be conscious. We're not putting other people in bad situations. Why do you drive carefully? Well, I I don't want to hit another car. Yeah. Also, you don't want to roll your own car with the people in it. And those are the people that you have to look out for first. But there's so many states right now that are ahead of the game using these test to stay protocols. Okay, if you've had close contact with somebody who has had a confirmed infection, whether they're sick or not. Oh, my gosh. You take a rapid test. There's none of this quarantine business. It's cheap. Okay, these things work. We've had them for months. Most people don't know anything about them, where to get them, whether they're free or not. And we've done a horrifying job of messaging. And I would tell you that the health minister of the province, Christine Elliott, should resign over this alone on principle that we're not using tests to stay. That Stephen Lecce, the education minister, should resign on principle that he hasn't documented how easy this concept is. 
but it would be the 11th thing they would have had to resign for in this mess of a province right now when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I, I can I can defend defend the provincial government on an awful lot of things. And I don't mind that they want to look forward and not backwards. I don't mind that. There's nothing we can do about where COVID was eight months ago or 18 months ago, but we control the now. We control the narrative for September 15th and 16th and 17th, and we're not doing anything about it. So I'm not a, I'm not of this uh, fear-based panic and paranoia about Delta with kids. I meant what I said earlier. Most parents aren't, many parents, excuse me, aren't going to vaccinate their six or seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds. They're not. Why? There is almost, there is a minuscule beyond belief chance that their child will have any illness whatsoever, let alone a bad outcome. And yes, that's with the dreaded Delta variant, the DDV. You may be interested in terms of uh, I'm going to I want to play this Norm McDonald clip before we break here. But you may be interested in that the chance uh, David Leonhardt as a senior writer for The New York Times. He's done phenomenal journalism on covid. He's talked to brilliant people, smart people admits it's great to admit what you don't know. That's a huge priority. I sure try and do that. And David David Leonhardt wrote that the chance of a breakthrough case last week after talking to the experts was about one in five thousand. So if you're expecting a breakthrough case and your kid's school has four, let's say it has 400 people, that's about 12 schools. Is your kid going to 12 schools today or just the one? Okay, like honestly, some of the fear and some of the paranoia and some of the almost desire among some members of the media, it would appear. I'm going to talk about that after eight o'clock. I can't wait to dig into that with a fork and knife. But some members of the media just seem to like that this is a story, just seem to like the fact that it gets the engines whirring. But some members of the media, and, and I think some for political purposes, are kind of, do you get that, Kay? Like, do you get that feel? They're kind of rooting for COVID in schools, kind of rooting for some chaos in the system. Maybe they don't have kids. Maybe they have vaccinated kids. I do. And I want parents to feel confident and take strides forward and understand how tiny the chances of the average vaccinated Canadian contracting COVID and having a bad outcome are at this particular point. Hey, Greg, 5 to 11s can't be vaccinated. I know. And 5 to 11s have the least likely occurrence to have a negative outcome from this. It can't just be me uh, screaming into the abyss here. Our number 289-975-1640 on text via this. Are we missing the boat when it comes to quarantining all these groups of kids? Um, I want to play you this clip. Norm MacDonald uh, lost uh, his battle, nine-year battle with cancer yesterday. So tragic to lose him. Um, he uh, did a bit on the last episode, well, the last time, and I think it was the second last episode ever of The Late Show with David Letterman. When Letterman hung it up in 2015, now we know Norm was battling cancer, had his own demons to fight off. Uh, he struggled with some issues of his own, but uh, told a great joke, a great joke about, um, well, World War One and World War Two in Germany. Here it is. I don't know if you guys are history buffs or not, but... Uh... <laughs> in the early uh, part of the previous century, Germany decided to go to war. And uh, who did they go to war with? The world. <laughs> it had never been tried before. And uh, so you figure that would take about five seconds for the world to win, but uh, 
No, it was actually close. <laughs> then, about, then about 30 years pass, and uh, Germany decides again to go to war, and again it chooses as its enemy the world. <laughs> And this time they have that guy, scrankly, crankly, that guy. And I'm not even going to dignify him by saying his name, but I think you know what I'm talking <laughs> But you'd think at that point the world will go, listen, Germany, here's the deal. You don't get to be a country no more on account of you keep attacking the world. We got to keep our eyes on Germany. I've been saying, I mean, it's been a running theme in the show for the last week and a half. The great Norm MacDonald, uh, always funny, always relevant, always would go out there. You got to go out on the limb to be funny sometimes, and he'd do that. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you how much this book will be uh, in, you know, the the view of, I think, any football fan, let alone a CFL fan. And uh, it's called Year of the Rocket, John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, a crooked tycoon. (laughs) <laughs> and the craziest season in football history. Bruce McNall's like, hey, how about some name recognition? Well, you're a crooked tycoon. Is that good enough? Um, what a different time in the CFL. Like, if I asked you now the biggest star in the CFL, you might love the CFL, and the games are entertaining. I try to go to BMO twice a year. I want to weasel my way into the Grey Cup in Hamilton somehow, some way. But if I asked you who the biggest star was, they'd be 150th the star that Rocket Ismail was coming out of Notre Dame. So the author of that book is Paul Woods. Uh, it's out in bookstores now and on Amazon and, and available online and available as an ebook and all that stuff. And Paul joins me now. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Um, what a great story. What was the genesis of you saying it's finally time to write a book about this unbelievably exciting time in the CFL and for the Argonauts, Paul? Well, thanks, Greg. Uh, yeah, you know, I was, of course, I was a big Argo fan and I was following it incredibly closely 30 years ago. Uh, and I always knew, even back then, this is an unbelievable story that nothing had ever happened like it before. Nothing has happened like it since. I don't think not anything ever will happen like it again. Uh, and so after writing a book about the 83 Argos, which came out eight years ago, I realized that my next project had to be about 91. It was the most, what I call the most magical, electrifying season season in almost a century and a half of Argonaut football. Like, I don't know how to describe what a star the Rocket was. Um, I grew up in London, Ontario, so that, that's a great mix, right? You get the American TV stations you're watching, a lot of college football on Saturdays. I'd sit there with my dad, and I I'd always cheered against Notre Dame, to be perfectly honest. Uh, my dad had some problems in the Catholic school system. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, we always cheered for Michigan in our household, so but Rocket was, this would be, honestly, Paul, to me, this is the equivalent of a Lamar Jackson, a Baker Mayfield saying, you know what? Forget the NFL. I'm going to play with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or the or the Ottawa Red Blacks. I'm not joking. That's the iconic name the Rocket was in college. Oh, he was the biggest star for sure. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame, you know, for better or worse, they're probably the most popular college team in the U.S., and he was a 
the biggest star on that team who saved his biggest plays for the most important moments, you know, in the orange bowl and in when the games mattered the most, like against Michigan, you know, he uncorked kickoff return touchdowns. He was a huge player. The one thing that, that makes it so crazy is that they paid him. The Argonauts paid him more than any player had ever received to play football in any league anywhere. So it would be like if, if, uh, if Trevor Lawrence came out to this year and instead of signing with, with the NFL, came to the CFL and somebody paid him $60 million. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what it's like. Paul Woods is author of Year of the Rocket. Um, so the entire concept of layout, because people probably ask all the time and they'll get the inside scoop in this book. When Gretzky, Candy and McNall get together and say, we want to own the Toronto Argonauts. Who's starting it? Who's convincing who that this needs to happen? Well, it's funny, Greg. That's one of the stories that I I, I, I say in the book that there are quite a few different versions of this. You know, Gretzky remembered it one way. McNall remembered it a little bit of a different way. Uh, some of the other executives with the team remembered it a different way. I think the, the most likely outcome is that Harry Ornest, who owned the Argos for two years, was on the board of directors at Hollywood Park Racetrack, and so was Bruce McNall. And so they knew each other a little bit and they'd both been NHL owners and Harry had owned the St. Louis blues and Bruce by then owned the LA Kings. Mm -hmm. And one day Harry said to Bruce, I've got this football team in Canada that I'm looking to sell. Are you interested? Bruce told me quite openly, he'd never even heard of the Argonauts, but he knew that Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> his star player and, and business partner had grown up in Brantford. He called up Wayne and, and said, what do you think? And Wayne said, Bruce, there's only one team worth owning in Canada. It's the Toronto Argonauts. And then he called John Cannon who was the Kings, the LA Kings honorary captain and was always attending uh, pregame meals at the fabulous forum alongside Bruce. And he asked John what he thought. And John said, I love the Argos. You got to be kidding me. We got to do it. This is an unbelievable uh, story because of the attention the team got. They obviously win the 1991 Grey Cup. Um, it all starts to go wrong. They can't. Uh, it, wh what was the problem? Could they not make the economics work? And, and should they have known that prior to they had M Matt Dunnigan was their quarterback? That, that's a high salary, but it's nothing like the Rockets salary. Then it's Bruce McNall with the, um, you know, w with the criminal convictions. Then it's John Candy passing away. Like the idea when all this gets announced, Paul, of it lasting only three years. Um, people wouldn't have believed that at the time. They thought, well, these guys will be in for the long, long haul here. It was, it's a tragedy. It lasted three seasons. Yeah, they were perceived as the salvation of the league, really, because the league was in pretty bad shape at that time. And all of a sudden, you've got these three megastars arriving, and it seemed like Bruce McNall had a Midas touch. Everything he touched turned to gold. Uh, and then it all went right the first year, mm -hmm. at least on the field, uh, and to some extent off the field. I mean, they had bigger crowds, uh, but they didn't sell out Skydome, and I, Bruce was counting on them, you know, putting 54,000 people into that building. Instead, they were, you know, they had one crowd in the 40s. They had one crowd in the 50s for the Eastern final. But other than that, they were in the 30s. And so they didn't sell enough tickets to justify mm -hmm. the, the crazy amount of money they were paying the Rocket. The executives knew even before that first year was over that the, the financials are not working here. Uh, and then, of course, uh, they, they made some strategic decisions. They let Matt Dunnigan go. Matt had been the hero of the 1991 Grey Cup. Uh, he, you know, he played with, a, with a, basically a broken collarbone and led them to victory. Uh, but they let him walk away as a free agent. So that was not a great decision because 
because it hurt the team on the field. Uh, they raised mm. ticket prices, and at the and you know they you know the, you, you asked him, well, shouldn't they have known? They've been warned. I mean, yeah. Brian Cooper, who was the the he became their chief operating officer, and he was a longtime business partner of Reskies. He was asked before they made the decision to buy the team, what do you think? Because he knew the market. And he said, I don't know, guys. This The NFL's really taking hold in Canada. My friends all watch NFL. I just don't know that this could be done without a long build. And they kind of ignored that advice and went ahead and did it. And then they gave, but then they bring Brian as, as the as the guy running the team on the ground. And they say, good luck breaking even. We've just paid Rocket Ismail four and a half million dollars up front. <laughs> so, you know, and then, of course, McNall's fraud started to come to light. Really didn't come to light until 93. The, 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 the wall started closing in around him. But uh, by 92, yeah. they were already in bad shape. They couldn't they couldn't make it work financially. Uh, Paul, I got about 40 seconds. Tell, tell the audience what it meant to Candy. It meant more emotionally to Candy, probably exponentially, than it did the other two guys to be involved in this. Oh, absolutely. John, John, I say in the book, he was, uh, the Argos have been around for 150 years and he's the only owner they ever had that truly loved the team. He grew up in East York. He wanted to play for the Argos. He yeah. went to games at Exhibition Stadium. He was all in that year. He it was living the dream for John. He'd never had anything quite as fun as that. Put his career on hold, did everything he could to help the Argos in the league for that year. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the sadness of the story is that John died and wasn't able to sort of carry, carry on. All right. When Netflix wants to make the book into a 10 part documentary, hold out for big cash. And remember, I told you to do that. Okay. Hold out. Don't take I that. Appreciate first, that don't Greg. take the second <laughs> offer, let alone the first. That's the key. To, <laughs> trust me. I'm a master negotiator in, uh, in my own media uh, world. Paul, thanks very much. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much, Greg. Nice talking to you. Paul Woods is author of year of the rocket, John Candy, Wayne Gretzky, a crooked tycoon. Hey, and the, and the craziest season in football history. Continue reflecting on the life of uh, Norm McDonald. Just going through all the old sketches, all the old interviews, appearances on Conan. Um, yeah, just great stuff. I forgot because listeners now reminded me. They're like, why do you like this one better than that? He used to do um, Larry King on Saturday Live. So he'd sit there. Larry King had a column in USA Today called News and Views. And I remember thinking it, but then Norm put it into works where he would just say the most obvious stuff. He'd be like, red wine is a fantastic wine, but so is white wine. And like, he'd be like, so that was him with the sketch on, on the show. And he'd be like, I have no tolerance with people who shoot other people. You know, that kind of stuff. Just the most obvious <laughs> yeah, totally. things on the planet. He was just, just a master of the sublime. Absolutely. And, and the deadpan, right? He just did yeah. it with a, without a smile on his face. But uh, taking a look at what happened today back in 1916 in World War I, tanks used for the first time <laughs> in a battle, believe it or not. And, and that's interesting because you're using it for the first time. There's no sort of driver's ed for a tank. You're just sort of thrown in there and say, all right, go ahead, have you, at it. You do wonder if, if armies isolate certain soldiers and, and they talk to each other as like a general and an assistant. They're like, you know what? That's a tank guy right there. Let's get him into, into the basic training program. Totally. You do wonder that. And then do, are people like after a week, they're like, they just, it's like a quarterback. There's like, they just don't have that it factor <laughs> to be a tank driver in, you know, the Soviet army. They like, it's just not, this just isn't working out. Um, I don't know. Do you think you get like, could you drive a transport truck? I I probably maybe yeah, take some see, training, it right? Take I, it intimidates yeah, the hell out of me. The idea of it and be like, yeah, I'm driving between Toronto and Montreal. Although some trucks you see on the roads, so you think that they may not have. Have you as ever much. driven a big moving truck? I have yes. one, and it's 
even parking it. You are scared coming into a parking lot that you're just going to mow over like a Don't little wait. a little Toyota or something you can't even see below the below the the top. Well, we have race cars and 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 we tow a trailer behind a large pickup truck, so getting around in that, you have to be always weary of where the trailer is and how where you are on the road. So yeah, it takes a little practice. Now I'm fascinated. Sure. Can you drive a race car to work someday? And can I look at it in the parking lot? <laughs> Why don't you do that? I should, shouldn't I? I mean, the cops aren't gonna. The cops aren't looking for anything to morning. do with it. No, they don't want. They got bigger. They got bigger fish. It's Toronto. They got bigger fish to fry. Absolutely. On this day, 1982, the first issue of USA Today was published. That's a big one that's been around for a long time, um, and, and always talked about breaking stories. Do you still have a newspaper subscription? I don't know. Do you feel bad sometimes I, well, that you don't? I do a little bit. I, I do online. I mean, is that... Yeah, that I mean, That's not a, not a physical newspaper, but I do online. But wasn't sure. there joy in... And I would do this even as a university student. Like, there was joy on a Friday afternoon. The weekend's coming, and you'd buy star the sun i'd buy in london i'd buy the detroit paper i'd buy the usa today Mm because it had a good sports section to lay out for the weekend and entertainment and lots of colors i think that made that simpler you know i'm a simple man at heart like the weather map would be like red hot (laughs) ice blue cold it was easy for me to understand yeah for sure lots of people still saturday morning coffee and uh, the morning newspaper especially uh on the weekend is still key to their their routine. On this day, 2004, National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman announced the lockout of the mm-hmm. Players' Union and, of course, uh, the shutting down of operations in the NHL head office. So that uh, the lockout of 2004 started on this day. I'll never forget somebody telling me that the uh, owners were really going to tighten the screws on the players, right? They needed a salary cap. That didn't exist before then. And the guy told me, he's like, you don't understand. These owners are losing money. They've got a war chest of two years. They're ready to go two full seasons. And the players are just being naive, thinking, well, you know, there'll be pressure on the owners to come. Not if you're losing millions of dollars. There's no pressure to open your doors if you're losing millions of dollars. Yeah, I, I, I just, I never can understand why these player strikes, why lockouts, why they happen. Why can't we just sort of get along? You know what I mean? It's the Rodney King principle. I'm naive in that way. I'm just like, you're going to both benefit eventually. Just work together and get there. (laughs) I love the message. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a message of positivity. Indeed. Millionaires and billionaires should get along better. Who knew? Right. (laughs) And on this day, 1993, Meatloaf's I'd Do Anything for Love released as a single. It would go to number one. Yeah, here we go. We're going to hear it. And the meatloaf kind of, it was sort of a new meatloaf. I don't have it. Can you t- take it louder, Sophia, for me? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think our parents or our, a lot of older brothers and cousins had their own meatloaf with like Paradise by the Dashboard Light and Bad Out of Hell. Yeah. So this was like 18 years later and it's like, what? Like that's on like mixing in with U2 and Mariah Carey and all these like hit makers in the early 90s and Meatloaf's back with a hit single? Yeah. It was weird. And, and I remember it was, I think, partly due to the video for this song as well that was more like a movie. It was like the Michael Jackson thriller kind of thing. But uh, that was a huge hit as well. It was. And, um, you know, there's lots of rumors and uh, I guess we can talk about it off the air as to as to what Mr. Loaf would not would not do <laughs> like he would do anything for love but the one thing and i don't there's lots of speculate it's like alanis with you ought to know it's like who's she talking about like there's a lot of 
speculation, but probably best left for that's left for a conversation over a pint, not necessarily yeah. eggs and bacon. A- exactly. Is that, we yeah. just know he wouldn't do that. He would not. No, no. no. no well, well it's a kind of a contradiction. If you do anything, that should be everything. That's true. But uh, for that. yeah, and in the video, he's like, you know, deformed or something. Yeah. Also, I'm seeing this. It was like uh, a little in my head Phantom now. of the Opera, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there probably should have been a lawsuit. Uh, speaking of millionaires <laughs> suing other millionaires. Uh, absolutely, yeah. The, the, the Phantom Maker should have come right after him for some uh, royalty rights. Indeed. Thanks for that, Dave. We'll hear you uh, top of the hour. For sure. Okay, I can't play. I, I mean, this could have been three and a half hours of Norm MacDonald uh, bits. Re- appearances on Conan, appearances on Letterman. We'll play his goodbye on Letterman in a little bit. Here's, um, here's a joke about an obscure band that had one hit in 1994. It's so good. Here it is. And in music news, number one on the college charts this summer was Better Than Ezra. And at number two, Ezra. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even need the uh, phrase uh, crack whore. We've gotten through an entire morning, and that's the first mention of that. And I'm praying our next guest uh, doesn't have it. Uh, He came to viral prominence. You should see a doctor about that. I'm trying to out funny somebody who's way funnier than me. Uh, viral prominence with his Donald Trump impersonation uh, right around Easter weekend at the start of the pandemic. So he's been at this quite a while and has a great YouTube page as well. I highly recommend uh, it for these six episodes of the Mike Pence podcast uh, before it was canceled. He is J.L. Coven. It's great. Listen, the, the Mike Pence podcast might have been canceled after six episodes, but that's longer than any John Stamos television show since Full House. So you got that going for you. No, that's true. I mean, uh, when you talk about Stamos and Pence, you're just talking about two iconic, (laughs) handsome uh, American treasures. So, you know. (laughs) I'm not sure an entire episode of Full House was ever filmed, though, with a fly on John Stamos's head. That hair, that wouldn't have, the flies weren't really as attracted to him as during the vice presidential debate. Not really. You know, and, the, and the oil and the grease, you know, the fly would have been in real trouble, <laughs> I think. In that hair, it's more dry. It's more like, a, you know, a safer environment in Pence's hair. Um, you know what it's like as a, as a stand-up, and you know what it's like uh, to uh, hit the ground running and get opportunities and, and get exposure. Norm MacDonald just seemed, uh, JL, to be, to be tireless. He talked about how many weeks he'd be on the road. Uh, no family life, uh, to, no, no kids, so no soccer games, no concert recitals to go to. Guy just seemed to work. And he was constantly also working on new material and new ways to make us laugh. What a sad loss for comedy. Uh, very sad. And I guess it's, it's one of those things. Um, obviously, Michael K. Williams was not a comedy loss, but it was sort of like a one-two punch in two different, very way, uh, two mm-hmm. different ways, like the, the recent sort of sudden losses. And I, I think as much as I respected Norm MacDonald and thought he was hilarious, I mean, the way he kept it secret, I know that's not like his legacy, but the way he just kept going about his business um, I said to you in, in a private message, mm-hmm. it was sort of like Chadwick Boseman, where you're like doing this great work still and keeping it, keeping like this horrible personal tragedy to yourself while still putting out funny things and, and, and working hard is, uh, you know, sort of a, a bittersweet final legacy um, at, at the end of his life. 
I don't know, you know, and and I, I like that we're getting there because I don't know if that's what I would do. It's like when, when you see people on the news and they're like neighbors and they're like, what happened? Your your neighbor three doors down um, <laughs> turned into Michael Myers and killed 10 people. I don't know if I'm the guy that gets in front of the camera and talks about what a loner he was. And subsequent to that, I, I had a great friend die of colon cancer last summer. I was an on-air partner with him for seven years. And he kept the colon cancer secret. So we text about sports or something funny. And, you know, I'm a little bit angry in retrospect that he didn't tell me. But w- until we're in that position, we just don't know how we'd react. And, and I hate about our society that we just everybody shares everything with everybody. And I'm like, can we not? Is nothing private anymore? Is nothing sacred that's just yours? So Norm Norm held a lot of that in. My God, for a decade. Yeah, it's, it's very it's, it's I, I don't I, It was just when you see it. I don't want to make, I mean, I'm just now doing celebrity death comparison, apparently, but yeah. the feeling I had was more like, the, 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 even though it was not the same type of death, like when Kobe died, it was like at first, I just looked at it and was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it like took a second to just sort of process, like, no, this, but how could this happen, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, to keep it, to keep it secret, I, I don't, you know. Like you said, in this age of oversharing, maybe it's like it's an incredible uh, restraint on his part. But the way he the way I guess his representative said he didn't want an illness to sort of distract or color his comedy in a different way with people looking at him differently. I think that's like the ultimate sort of testament to, to how much he valued comedy is that he wanted it, you know, to just be on its own merits in every way. He didn't want mm. personal life to, to color it in any way. And that's, that's, that's kind of incredible. Jail Coven is kind enough to join us. Uh, stand-up comedian. You should check out his YouTube channel. Um, and, uh, and I think about Saturday Night Live and I, I let's be honest, I struggle with the show now. It, I, it doesn't mean to me what it used to mean. Um, and when Norm joined the show, I want to lay this out for people. This is a literal murderer's row. And given that Norm would make jokes about OJ, it, it fits. Norm McDonald, Sarah Silverman, Al Franken, Phil Hartman, Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Mike Myers, Kevin Nealon, Adam Sandler, David Spade. Like I <laughs> put two of those people on the show now and it's a better show. What like what a powerhouse. What a struggle to get airtime in a 90 minute show for all those people. Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, that's my, I know some people older than me would probably, you know, obviously consider the original cast maybe to be their favorite, but that's that's my favorite roster. Phil Hartman is probably my favorite ever mm-hmm. on that show, but uh, no, he and he found, he carved out his own niche on the show and, and a unique uh, a unique style that hasn't sort of been replicated uh, before or since. Um so he found a way to to make his mark on on a, what was a you know superb cast. You've taken a, you, you don't hesitate taking people to task uh, and going uh, I suppose politically in a satirical manner with your comedy. No one would would host the Mike Pence podcast were they not Mike Pence if that was not true. Norm did this with O.J. Simpson. I, I think how brave it was to be honest and it cost him his gig and maybe eventually he knew it would cost him his gig. But he wouldn't stop. He was hosting Weekend Update and having six OJ jokes a Weekend Update um, was was pretty bold for its time, pre-Twitter, pre-all this snark in our society, right? Right, I think so. And I think, you know, the, the contrast today is probably 
everyone would have been doing overkill on OJ and it wouldn't have been, you know, you could compare that to maybe Trump where it became profitable. I can speak from experience <laughs> to, to destroy Trump. Whereas obviously when he was doing but it was it, it, like, mm-hmm. it's sort of stunning to just think that it cost him his job. It's like, Oh, I'm sorry that you're, friendship with a with a murderer uh is is making you sensitive to my jokes it's like it's a joke in and of itself just to like think of that like oh i'm sorry were my jokes about your friend who murdered people yeah going too far you know what else went too far murder <laughs> yeah it's a it's a step uh, many of us uh it's a bridge many of us won't cross now i mentioned uh, I, his SBs, if I have to i have to say that yeah. his, his sb joke um about the heisman you know, amazing yeah yeah it was yeah, they can never take that from you. Unless, of course, you murder. <laughs> now, you, you went, I, I mentioned your your Trump impression. People need to see it. You're still rolling with it. Um, I, I'm sure, I know people say, oh, aren't you selfish? Don't you wish he'd beat Joe Biden? I know you're a proud American and uh, you believe in democracy, so you don't feel that way. Um, but, like, what, like give me, what would Donald Trump be saying right now? We have a Canadian election of our own, you probably know, on Monday night. What? How would Donald Trump be weighing in on our election right now? Uh, well, you know, it's you don't have the same problems with nasty voter fraud that we have down here because, you know, Canadians, they're too nice. Then, you know, I'll give them that, that they're so nice they won't even fight for things. They let the government tax the crap out of them. They say, oh, yes, hey, you can take all our money because we're so nice. You can do that. But you have Trudeau. Well, everybody always sends me, they send me these pictures of Trudeau with, you know, Ivanka, my my very sexy daughter, and I say that as a father. Uh like smiling at him and they say, Oh look, she wants Trudeau. She doesn't want Trudeau. Okay. He may, he's like a Canadian nine, but in America, he's like a two. Okay. He's not that handsome. And also very, you know, this right. Very racist. He put on a brown face. He wore brown face. And you know, in America, that just shows you how nice Canadians are in America at Mar-a-Lago. We go full blackface. Oh God. Yeah. You know, but it, but it, you know, he was too afraid to go the full blackface. So he went, Merely brown face, and uh, it shows how weak he is. So he's both racist <laughs> and weak. He's not a strong racist like some people that I can respect, but he's sort of a half racist, which is probably the worst way to be racist. So I endorse whoever the hell's running against him. <laughs> nice, probably another nice Canadian who's, you know, yeah. like a, a lot and likes hockey but doesn't like the fighting. So, uh, we strongly endorse whoever the hell's running against uh, not so handsome Justin. Yeah, I mean the show was orange is the new black, not brown is the new black. Someone should someone should let him in that that was a different. That was about women in prison. I should I better not get you started about women in prison. Hey, thank you for making the time for me today. I love uh, your stuff. You know that, and your Trump is is it's the best on the planet, bar none. Thank you for doing this for us, and uh, and thanks okay. for having such a a critical uh, sense sensitive mind about Norm Macdonald and what he meant. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. Pleasure being on. Hey, really appreciate you checking out the Toronto Today podcast for Wednesday, September 15th. Hopefully you can join us live on the air tomorrow. We're on 530 to 9 on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We'll arm you with everything you need to know if you're on the go or if you're at home for a busy or less than busy Thursday. Again, appreciate you listening. You can rate our podcast where you find podcasts and subscribe to it. So it just downloads right to your phone when you need us. Thanks again for listening.